0: This is the State of Inclusion podcast, where we explore topics at the intersection of equity, inclusion, and community. In each episode, we meet people who are changing their communities for the better, and we discover actions that each of us can take to improve our own communities. I'm Amy Sanders. Welcome. If you've been listening for a while, you'll remember that in episode 49, I introduced our 10-week Inclusive Community Outdoor Challenge. For one of those challenges, I wanted to talk with a local change agent and somebody who's actively working to participate in and build a more inclusive outdoors. And right away, I knew I wanted to talk with Chris Sparrow. So Chris and I first met as teammates in a community leadership program a few years back. Chris is an adaptive athlete, and he is also the coordinator of a program called Greenville Can. Welcome, Chris.
1: Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on the podcast today.
0: Yeah. So first, before we get started, Chris, um, and start talking about your favorite sports, because I I think we'll probably spend some time on that. Can you tell us a little bit about the work you do with the Barberstone Foundation and about Greenville Can?
1: absolutely so i started with the barbara stone foundation about a year and a half ago but i've been working as a volunteer through greenville can for about the past five years and uh what we do is we try to make greenville south carolina a better place for people with disabilities the barbara stone foundation started off as more of a a fiduciary agent so we would provide Funding to other disability-based nonprofits in the area who needed some extra help to be able to make sure that they were uh, could implement their programs, and so that's what the Barbara Stone Foundation did for a, a long time. And then we uh, we got to a point where uh, we were realizing that uh, there were still uh, issues and still barriers out there that existed for individuals. And also, there didn't seem to be any kind of clear community around the disability uh, world in Greenville. And so uh, we thought we wanted to be more uh, thoughtful about that. And so uh, we wanted to kind of start having some more collaboration between the local disability nonprofits. And so that's where Greenville CAN came in. So CAN stands for Collaborative Action Network. And so what we do is we have a few different ways that we do things, but what we're really trying to do is create systems change in Greenville and really create a more inclusive community. Uh, There hasn't really been a lot of, I guess, uh, disability uh, pride and uh, a lot of movement in the disability community in Greenville. And so we wanted to start to change things and make Greenville a better place.
0: And so what are some of the key priorities that you guys focus on
1: sure so accessibility uh, making sure that greenville is accessible as possible we are in a little bit of a hilly city and uh, our older buildings and so to look at uh, where we can help increase accessibility in those spots but then also as you can tell greenville is blowing up right now and there's a lot of development coming in a lot of new people moving in and so making sure that when those new places are built that those are also accessible for people with disabilities we also focus on transportation uh, you know making sure that what we have in Greenville as far as transportation is accessible and inclusive for people with disabilities uh, we want to make sure that um, we also focus on uh, you know transition from, school or college into adulthood that can be you know an awkward time for people with disabilities uh, we also focus on getting out there and helping families understand uh kind of sexual boundaries and relationships because that can be also a very confusing time with not a lot of information out there for people with disabilities that's another part of Greenville can that we want to focus on is giving people access to information that either is difficult to find or, uh, you know, people just don't have. And so we want to make sure that, you know, people are getting those resources. And so that's where we really focus a lot of our efforts.
0: And can you talk a little bit about one of the programs that you have done in the past? I don't know if you're still doing it. Your can talks that was one of my favorite things that you guys did. That was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah so we're in our fourth year of can talks it's based on the TED talks model so what we do is we bring in uh five to six speakers all of whom have disabilities we look for a lot of diversity uh in the speakers you know as far as backgrounds races ages sexes the type of disability they have um and then we allow them to come on stage and you know have 6 to 8 minutes to speak about a topic or something that they feel very passionate about or something that they want to educate the public about. Uh, And the idea is really to not be something that is an inspiration for people, but more of uh, something that, you know, is thought provoking that makes people see the world in a different way and look at an issue or a topic in a way that they've never looked at it from you know before looking at it from the disability perspective and so that's what we really wanted to bring to it and also the idea that yes people with disabilities can be there very thoughtful and creative and you know stand up and give a speech in front of 250 people and really knock it out of the park
0: that's a great gift to the community as well because i think it does as you um described change people's thinking and make them for a moment step out of their everyday world as they participate in this and, and learn from this experience. It's really, and it's fun because it's um, also, as can talks are very informative, educational, and fun as well. So that's really, really nice. And you guys also work on employment, right?
1: Yes. So we have a couple of different ways that we work on employment. So through what I do, we organize something we call the Disability Employment Discussion Group and we bring in anybody anybody can be a part of that group it doesn't have to be service providers or employers it can be anybody who just wants to learn more about uh the progress that's being made as far as disability employment uh new initiatives that are out there things that are very creative that people aren't really uh knowing about so for instance uh like things like roper mountain science center has a uh, a disability employment kind of I guess you could call it kind of a training center there uh, where they're training people students who have disabilities up of how to work in the food industry and being able to be on site you know it's one thing to get trained in class and learn some things but to be able to be on site and go through a work day and understand what work is really like is so beneficial to people with disabilities and so Um, just you know talking about programs like that and uh, giving employers and service providers the opportunity to come in and have discussions and you know because we're really in the infancy infancy of uh, disability employment I mean it's really I mean people with disabilities have been employed for a while but it's really gotten a push in the last 10 to five years and so uh it's it's getting people to buy in is a big part of it. But then we also have something we call the Up Employment Initiative, which is uh, an inclusive, competitive uh, employment opportunity. Where honestly, we're we're looking for individuals who may have had you know may not have had success with other uh, service providers or employment opportunities and so what we do is we kind of a specialized way of doing things is that we have uh our initial job uh employment liaison who basically works with that individual with the disability to help make sure that they're job ready and make sure that they have all the uh, job skills that they need as far as interviewing and communication and just being ready to be a good employee But then she also works with the employer to make sure that if something happened on the job, uh, then, you know, everybody's kind of in discussion with it and communication and figuring out, Okay, well, let's make sure that we clear the air and uh, get things kind of worked out. Because that's a lot of times where we see problems with employment and disability employment specifically is something will happen and no one will be there to really kind of figure out what was the issue and how they can get past it. it usually just turns out okay well they got they quit or they got fired and things didn't work out and at the end of the day it leaves a bad taste in everybody's mouth and so we're trying to kind of move past that and at least you know be able to iron things out and smooth things out and that because you know with employment doesn't matter if you have a disability or not things come up and there's all types of issues and so um, being able to have somebody to make sure that those things get you know, worked out is very beneficial for the employer and for the uh, the employee.
0: So thank you for telling us about what you do in your day job. But now I'd love to talk about what you do for fun. But before right. we do that, um, I introduced you as an adaptive athlete. Maybe you would tell our listeners a little bit about your own story and how you came to be an adaptive athlete.
1: Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I love telling about my story, too, because um, I think it it opens people's minds, too, right? Because uh, my story is kind of odd. I'm a person with spinal cord injury. And in 2012, I was getting ready to – I'd gone back to college, was finishing that up. I was just – I'd just gotten married, uh, you know, super excited. I was, you know, thought like, okay, here we go. We started really making – progress in my life. And uh, I was hit with kind of a rare neurological event called transverse myelitis. And it was basically an inflammation of my spinal cord. And no one really kind of knew what was happening. It hit all of a sudden, I went from being perfectly fine to unable to walk within a week. And we went to a neurologist and we took a lot of steroids and tried to kind of stop it as it was happening. Um, But, you know, I ended up going into the hospital and spent five weeks there. And we did the rehab and uh, learned to live life in a wheelchair. And after those five weeks, I got out and I ended up, because transverse myelitis is a little odd in that it doesn't always, it, it can heal itself. It doesn't always end up as a person uh, is in a wheelchair. Uh, sometimes people completely heal from it. So I spent like the next two years trying to figure out, is this going to go away? How can I make this go away? And after about two years, it kind of got to the point of, all right, well, this is not going to change. I need to accept my life where it is and you know, kind of get out of this place of limbo. And I you know, start. You know, wanted to start working, and uh, you know, be employed, and start engaging life, and engaging you know the community, and getting out there. And so I just kind of got to that point where I was like, "All right, time to move forward." And started that, and that's kind of took me on to the rest of my journey, which has been very, very good for me. It's been uh, a lot of incredible things have happened to me, and uh, there's been a lot of benefit to in a wheelchair. It's it's not been the easiest life by far, but it's been um you know whereas I felt like I was floating and, you know, before I had uh you know my spinal cord injury, I've felt a lot more purpose driven since.
0: Wow, that's incredible. Thank you for sharing that. Um because I think it helps as we talk about the the things that you do for fun. Because um as, as I know you, I understand you were an athlete before, athletic before, and you still are now. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about some of the things that you do as an athlete and um, kind of open people's minds, because I'm going to tell you right now, you opened my mind. I think the day I saw on Facebook, the picture of you on your adaptive mountain bike, zooming through the through the forest was yeah. an a mind opening moment for me. So maybe you can tell us about some of the things you do.
1: I try to stay involved as much as I possibly can. Uh, You know, if somebody's going to give me the opportunity to do something, I'm going to get out there and try it. Uh, That's kind of how how I've always been. I've just enjoyed trying new things and getting new experiences. Uh, um, And some of those things have been, um, you know, snow skiing or water skiing. So I used to do a lot of snow skiing and water skiing prior to being injured. So uh, wanting to get back to those things. A lot of the things that I want to do or the sports that I would pursue are uh, sports that I, were, I was doing prior to being injured. And so, um, you know, golf became one of those things. And that was uh, something that it took a while for me to get back into golf. Uh, but I did that. Um, I do a little basketball, uh, uh not as much uh, competitive, uh, but I definitely get out there and play. Um, I've done, I mean, cycling and golfing are kind of the main things that I, I focus my efforts on, uh, particularly mountain biking, uh, just because I found road cycling a little too dangerous, just because the bikes are really low to the ground and, and really hard to see, and uh, you know, it can be unsafe out there. I find it more safe to be flying down a mountain, uh, <laughs> barely in control, than to be on the road with a bunch of different cars.
0: So just for a minute, just for our listeners, there's two things that I wanted to talk about that I'm going to put some pictures. You sent me some great pictures, so I'm going to put some pictures on our show notes so people can see you engaging in these sports. But let's talk about golf for a minute. What kinds of equipment do you use to enable you to play golf? And I know it seems like you compete as well in golf. So maybe you can talk a little bit about the adaptive golf universe, if you will.
1: Sure. Yeah. So as far as the equipment's concerned, I use a piece of equipment called a paragolfer. And so this is uh, something that uh, I sit down in. It can stand me up. Um, it's got a little kind of joystick on the side that helps me be able to steer it around. And then my golf bag sits off to the side. And so that allows me, I can get onto the greens and not tear up the greens and I can get to most places. Some places are a little bit more difficult depending on, you know, uh, the slope of the hill, but that um, allows me to just actually stand up and hit from a standing um kind of position which allows me to uh obviously get more you know force and distance be- behind my swing but also just allows me to feel like I'm actually playing the game again I tried to play the game from in a wheelchair and I found it just to be a little difficult and then for me it was like well how am I going to actually play I can't play on a course in, in a wheelchair like this it's, that's not going to work it's going to take too much effort and Um, you know, I'm not going to be able to really get on the greens. I'm not going to be able to get into bunkers or anything like that. And so this, uh, the Paragolfer helps me do that. Uh, Unfortunately, the Paragolfer that we're currently using has been uh, discontinued. There's a new uh, cart that's been put out called uh, uh, Veracat, I think. They just released it um, recently. And so uh, there are a few companies that are out there that are starting to look into um making uh equipment for individuals specifically who are paralyzed because when you're doing the golf you have to be very careful of getting pressure sores uh that can happen either on like your the back your legs or uh you know on your bottom and that can be pretty devastating to individuals so you have to be very careful of that and so um getting people who can understand that as they're creating this piece of equipment is, is pretty hard. And so there, but there's people who are figuring it out now and starting to, there's I think a couple of companies that are doing it, but as far as the actual, uh, adaptive golf universe, um, it's pretty wide, right? So there's, I think, 14 different classifications or competitive classifications out there because, you know, obviously as someone in a wheelchair, it would be kind of unfair if I was competing against somebody who um, just had like an arm, one arm amputation, one arm amputee, right. Or somebody who had their leg amputated or, you know, and so there's all these different classifications as to, you know, uh, above the knee, below the knee. Is it two arms? Is it two legs amputated? Is it uh, somebody with Down syndrome? Uh, there's a bunch of these different classifications that we compete in, but Um, It's golf has been around for a while because a lot of the uh, adaptive sports uh, kind of came out of like, uh, like veterans, basically, there's a lot of support for veterans to be able to get back into athletics. And so through their work and through their support it's kind of bled down into the rest of the disability community and provided a lot of opportunities where there were none before. And so golf is one of those things that really kind of came out of uh, the military and veterans, you know, playing golf. And they're the ones that kind of started to figure out, um, you know, at least they started off with a lot of like, uh, like amputees playing golf. And so that's kind of where the adaptive golf world started. Uh, as far as pieces of equipment like I use, uh, they've only been around for about 15 years. And that was from when it was like first created. And so it's really gained a lot of traction here in about the last 10 years. And so there are, um, you know, these paragolfers all throughout the the U.S. You just kind of have to figure out where they're located at and uh, go and use them. Because it is kind of hard because if you don't have your own, because they cost about you know $25,000 to buy, most golf courses aren't having them on their own. So you have to find a program that has those to be able to actually go out and play and engage. But luckily we have um, two of them here in the upstate area, uh, one through upstate adaptive Carolina golf or Carolina adaptive golf, and then one through the local rehab hospital, Roger C.P.'s.
0: The other thing that I wanted you to kind of describe for a minute, if you would, is your mountain biking so mm-hmm. that's a that's quite a thing huh to be mountain biking so maybe you can tell us how it works and a little bit about how you make that happen
1: Yeah absolutely so there's uh, a few again it's a lot of these sports are very emerging things it's it wasn't wasn't around 10 to 15 years ago and so there's a few companies that have um started creating um these mountain bikes a lot of it's coming out of colorado or british columbia where there's these uh, mountain bike hubs but they um, uh, have a few different styles a few different versions Um, they're all going to be well not all of them there are a few four wheels but most of them are uh, three-wheel mountain bikes Uh, mine and a few others have two wheels in the front and one in the back and just kind of a hand crank that sits about at my chest um i do use uh an e-assist for it just because it gives uh so much more range uh to like how far i can go because if i go out there with no e-assist i'm going to get burned out within the first two miles and just be unable to you know have the power of the strength to keep on going anywhere else so it makes it very limited whereas the e-assist you know opens up a lot of space for me to be able to go and ride also with going uphill is <laughs> a big thing because in these races, it's basically we we climb to the top of the hill and we race down to the bottom and, you know, whoever's got the fastest time. And so, you know, being able to make that climb, it, it takes the easiest, but it's really fun. It's again, we, we just had the very first Southeast adaptive mountain bike tournament last year, last uh, September. And so we're going to have the second one this year. And they do that up at uh, a place called Ride Canuga. It's near Henderson, North Hendersonville, North Carolina. And it's like a private uh, mountain bike park. And uh, we just go out there. We have a trail and it's, it's also part of a, a bigger uh, mountain bike. I guess they call it the end of summer jam, but it's like kind of a larger competition that they have. But there's a lot of these uh, that's kind of just in our specific area, but, um, Bentonville Arkansas is actually a massive adaptive mountain bike hub, uh, and they have a big park and there's a, a lot of people that go out there and they do a big race each year and then British Columbia there's a company up there that is uh, named Bowhead that is making these mountain bikes and they have a bunch of different versions and um, they are definitely kind of starting to Uh, really push the envelope as to how far, you know, we can take these things like as far as the speeds and uh, what kind of terrain that we can go down. Um, You know, I initially got my bike as a way to help me keep hiking because I love to hike and backpack before I became paralyzed. And so this was kind of just a way to get me back out into nature and to get off pavement and to get to places where I can't hear cars and you know i can just have time to myself but then it started becoming okay well we can race these oh there's people out there that want to actually compete in this and so um that's where it kind of started to change for me i met some other people around the area that were into it and so um there's also a, a company um or it's a nonprofit here in the southeast they have a few different i guess locations or branches if you want to call them that uh, called catalyst sports and so they're the ones that um help kind of um, make the turn or make the the race happen um they have a bunch of different bikes they help introduce people into uh adaptive mountain biking because that's the thing too with a lot of these sports it's so expensive to get these pieces of equipment and so to have organizations that can like provide that equipment for use for free, at least to help introduce you to it and figure out well, what do I want to actually do with it? Do I want to race a mountain bike or am I just want to ride on gravel roads? Or do I just you know want to have a road bike? And so being able to try out different things and uh, helps when you're trying to actually get into the, the purchasing side of it. And I can talk about that, too, because, you know, yes, these things are, are really expensive, but there's also different foundations and different groups out there that uh, help support and help provide funding for people to get these bikes and or whatever kind of piece of equipment, whether it's just a, a sport wheelchair uh, for playing pickleball or tennis or uh, getting, uh, you know, a, a snow ski um Kind of bucket or, or whatever you, you know that individual is looking for.
0: I loved hearing you talk about this. It just makes me think about the fact that you were into sports before you were injured, and now you found your way back to sports and to the outdoors and to competing in sports as well. Which sounds like it's really um, exciting for you and a lot of fun. I guess I wanted to ask you, maybe if you would just talk a little bit about how important you feel like that is for you and what it gave you or gave you back to be able to do this.
1: Yeah, I think at first normalcy a lot of times your life is thrown so out of whack when you have a disability that just finding things that were normal before getting back to those is just uh, it's incredibly important and just your own mental health. I think speaking on, on just that mental health aspect of it too. Like just, you know, whenever I leave um, or I'm going home from, you know, a bike ride or going out and playing pickleball or going out and playing golf, there's just like this good feeling I have. Like, oh, yes, that was great. I got out and did it. Like, so amazing. Like, I just kind of, like, it kind of feels goofy, but like, I feel cool. Like, you know, actually going out there and doing something and then you know, it doesn't matter how like exhausted I am or dirty or whatever the case may be. It's just that, uh, you definitely get like a high from, you know, being able to actually just go out there and do it. Um, it's an incredible feeling. And so just being able to have that mental health side and that helps out with your confidence. Cause you know, it's easy to start to lose confidence in yourself and lose self-esteem when you have a disability. And so, this is something that, you know, definitely builds it back up. And even if I'm out there, you know, having a terrible day on the golf course, just the ability to go out there and be there is incredibly helpful. And just the ability to get outside too. That's another thing is a lot of people with disabilities are are trapped indoors and, or they have limited time to get outside. And so to be able to get onto a golf course or to be able to go out into a state forest, or a national park, or just a you know a, a baseball field, right? You know these are things that like uh, really just help the the mental aspect and just the um, the quality of life of people with disabilities. Like there's such an improvement in people's quality of life, and not only that, but it helps. You know as far as the like you know with occupational therapy and physical therapy rec therapy helps support that so much because you're doing those things that you need to help build up your strength or uh, help engage muscles that weren't engaged before or help build up your core or just you know getting outside and getting that you know the vitamin d from the sun like all those different things are just really beneficial to just the overall health of individuals with people or, and people with disabilities. Like, it just, it provides so much. And then just the idea of, too, like, you know, as a person with spinal cord injury, it's so easy to uh, start to gain weight, start to lose muscle mass, um, start to become complacent and, uh, you know, just, not wanting to do things and that leads to negative self or negative health outcomes um and that can be the same thing for individuals with like inter intellectual or developmental disabilities too like our two disabilities are up there as far as you know those health outcomes can and happen really fast and be really bad for us and so being out there and being able to compete and sweat and and work out like it it's it provides you know <laughs> so many like positives on uh Uh, so many different levels uh, as far as that goes and so um, but at the end of the day just that happiness and being able to engage and you also like there's a good community too right like it really helps you to go out and like see other people and talk to other people and like hang out and you know I think the competing against other people is fun but like just to be able to sit there and talk to somebody and have those conversations and feel like, Hey, we're athletes together. Like that all I think is, um, I don't think it's necessarily talked about enough because it's hard to kind of put words behind that, but it is really important. i found like it just, everybody kind of engages. Like when we go to a golf tournament, like it's just, there's something about it. Like everybody's there, like we're competing, but there's not like a feeling of like kind of there's no anger about it. Like, Oh, you hit a better shot than me. You had a great shot. You know, I love that. Like there's a lot of support, you know, behind each other. And so that's, you know, that's kind of what everybody needs to, because like, you know, we're all going to hit bad shots on the golf course. We're all going to have tough times in life. And so just having people there to help support you, um, you know, is really important because, you know, it's easy to become isolated when you have a disability too. So, getting back out there is—it makes a difference. And you know, I I think—I mean—I would recommend anybody with a disability try to get back out there as much as possible. Even if you're just going outside and just hanging out and sitting on your front yard, it—it makes a difference.
0: When you talk about it, it's easy to understand how important it is for everybody to be able to be active and be outdoors. I wanted to ask you a question because this came to your disability came to you as an adult, but a lot of kids are born with disability or special challenges. And a lot of us learn about the sports and outdoor activities and things we love outside as children. Mm -hmm, So I wondered, because of your professional background and everything, if you could talk a little bit about how this affects children and what you think our listeners and communities should be thinking about in terms of supporting children who may need uh, special uh, adaptations to the playground or at school, those kinds of things?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, and it's, you know, this, I think, is even more important and has an even bigger effect for children, right? Because, you know, as an adult, you kind of are, it's, If you have to go into the hospital or you're going in the doctor's offices, you're able to process it from a certain space. Whereas if you're a child, that may be like your life and what you're dealing with. And it becomes such a big part of that, that so much of your life is dedicated to the medical side of it, that you're losing those childhood aspects to it. And so just, I think. The ability for youth with disabilities to be involved and engaged in sports is so important. And I can say that from what I've seen, what I've been able to witness, because uh, luckily here in Greenville, we have, again, some emerging uh, youth sports for uh, youth with disabilities. Uh, one of the biggest ones and the more famous ones is the Roger C. Peace Roland Tigers I don't know if you're familiar with them. They are a youth prep wheelchair basketball team uh, who in April, I believe, uh, won the national championship. Yeah. So they are uh, they are the best prep wheelchair basketball team in the entire U.S. by far. I've seen them play uh, in person. And then they also show all their games uh, live on Facebook. So if you follow them on Facebook, then you can watch their games. And they basically just demolish everyone they play. So this team has basically kind of been growing together. They started off, I believe, around like the maybe seven to eight range. And most of them are kind of getting into middle school now and getting ready to get into high school. So I think they're all kind of around 11, 12.
0: But so they're pretty uh, young. Range.
1: Yeah, yeah. They're all pretty young, but they're... um really just amazing athletes as far I mean it's it's incredible they play so well together uh, very well coached um, and I think Clemson is doing a lot with youth sports they have um, some youth sports uh, camps that they do during the summer whatever you're interested in trying uh, they have those and then they also have some competitions out there some Uh, like track and field like youth sports track and field competitions it's uh during i think kind of the middle of may too so they do a lot of stuff out there a lot of tennis as far as the other aspects of kind of youth sports for disabilities or or like recreation um because you talked about the like playgrounds It, it makes a huge difference as far as making sure that and i'm kind of talking to you know, there's anybody from any municipalities or (laughs) who designs playgrounds who's listening listening in, it makes such a big difference to have pieces of adaptive equipment there that, you know, youth with disabilities can use. So whether that's um, being able to ramp up to elevated play features um, or have steps that they can make it to that or having like the ground covering be something that you know somebody a youth in a wheelchair could easily roll over and navigate themselves a lot time we come from uh the days of you know just fill it all up with mulch you know all the, the ground and so that can be very difficult for uh youth who are using wheelchairs to you know navigate through themselves and that's a lot of it too is we want to encourage independence I mean, yes, I'm sure a parent could come through and push that youth to whatever play features they needed through mulch, but it means a lot more for the youth to be able to do it themselves and to play with other kids themselves without having to rely on somebody else to be able to push them around. And then also, you know, being able to engage with a lot of play features that are ground level is a big deal. Um, Having a lot of different styles of play features that encourage different types of learning. So you have like maybe musical styles right instead of of just having a slide or you know something monkey bars to climb on you know have some musical features have some tactile type elements that you know if somebody or a youth with a visual disability can go and engage with and start to play with I think all those things um, make a difference we we can Do so much with these playgrounds and they can be so interactive and have so many different cool features that, you know, I think we've been limited in the past, but people and a lot of playground designers too are starting to realize things, these things. And then also having things like they're, you know, very much the same thing as far as like the ground covering is making sure there's enough shade. Uh, especially you know we're (laughs) in that point climate change is real and it is affecting us on a day-to-day basis and so having enough shade out there for uh, youth who may need it is important Uh, having an accessible restroom right there and when I say accessible you know yes having an accessible stall is nice but also having uh, spaces for You know, youth who may need like changing tables or may need another individual in the restroom to help them go to the bathroom. Again, it helps them to be able to stay out there and play longer. So instead of being like, okay, well, we went out there and we played, but he's got to go to the bathroom. So we need to go home to be able to take care of all that. Well, now they can stay there and like play longer and engage longer and be part of that. And again, that helps with their quality of life.
0: So you already touched on it a little bit, but are there things that if we have listeners who are working in philanthropic organizations or in municipalities, like you talked about, or just working as activists within their own community, are there things that you wish people would think about or consider or steps that you think they should take to be more supportive for everyone to be outdoors and for the outdoors to be more inclusive?
1: Yeah, I think the first thing is we're still at that kind of awareness phase. And and even with the golf, that's part of kind of what we're actually doing is going and engaging with uh, different country clubs or different golf courses and their professionals and just introducing them to the entire idea that someone in a wheelchair could come out here and actually play golf and uh, do this. Or if we wanna talk about trails, uh, one thing that I find a lot is, you know, because uh, our mountain bikes are wider, we have two wheels out front. My mountain bike is about 41 inches wide at its widest part. You know, a lot of times, whereas most mountain bikes are, are very skinny, and so they'll make gates that are really close together, so that, that you know cars can't get through. And if you're on a normal mountain bike, yeah, you just cruise right through that. But for me, it becomes a lot more difficult. So um, I find myself either having to Get into positions that are, you know, kind of sketchy to try to get around a gate or try to get below a gate or, or I'm just kind of stopped from being able to access places. And so getting people to realize that, yes, there are people out there with disabilities who are engaging in all of these things. Whatever sport you can think of, there's somebody out there with a disability who's figuring out how they can do it, whether it's a physical disability or visual disability. They're figuring out how they can you know, be part of that. And so just being open to that is a possibility and we shouldn't necessarily kind of make policies or make, I think, making making decisions about you know their business or how they operate based on the assumption that people with disabilities are not ever going to come there uh, would be a mistake and my belief just because uh, we are going to find a way <laughs> to get out there one way or another. Uh, and so I think just, being open to people with disabilities being there, and then just being open to accommodations too, because not everything is going to you know fit for people with disabilities. And so, making an accommodations so that hey, they are able to ride or they are able to participate. Um, and and very much like kind of you know like I said with how I used to use or I still use my mountain bike for kind of hiking. You know, a lot of places, a lot of trails don't want to allow e-bikes onto uh, those trails. Uh, but for them to kind of make that accommodation of, OK, well, this person is never going to be able to get out to these places if they don't have that e-assist or they don't have this piece of equipment to be able to get them there. Um, so we should let them get, you know, come and be a part of this, uh, I think is a big thing. And that's something that we're, we're still trying to work on a lot.
0: I loved what you said just a few minutes ago, where you said, we're gonna find a way to get out there. I loved that. And I think you're absolutely right. And I think it's, um, I loved your suggestions of how we can all open our minds and our practices and our policies and our environments that we're building or supporting to be more inclusive and to make those accommodations that are so important. This has been a great discussion, Chris. I guess the question I have for you is: There anything that we haven't talked about that you want to talk about?
1: I think supporting people in, with disabilities to be able to do these things uh, goes a long way. These things are very expensive to be able to do all this stuff. It needs the help from the community. It it just kind of does. You know, I wouldn't have my mountain bike if I didn't have you know, the help from the community to be able to purchase that. I wouldn't, you know, be able to go out and play golf right now if, you know, people hadn't given money to Carolina Adaptive Golf so that they could purchase uh, a pair of golfers. Or, you know, same thing with Roger peace and UCAN. You know, they had to have people, you know, investing and donating money so those things can be bought. And it's not just me, you know, there's, you know, probably over 50 different people in wheelchairs who have gone through and used that same paragraph and, and youth with uh, disabilities too. And so it's, it's providing so much opportunity. A lot of times we just, uh, you know, as far as giving and donating money, we may not see those things as uh, things that are, are vital to people, but, it does make such a huge difference in people's lives, and so if you have a sport that you like or that you um, enjoy, you know you can one donate money to you know organizations that help support that for people with disabilities, or you can donate your time um, going out there because it, it a lot of times it does require um, volunteers. When I'm racing my mountain bike. It requires two volunteers to be riding behind me uh just in case you know i go over so that they can help get me up when we're out playing golf you know it requires you know volunteer i need somebody to help me tee the ball up you know you know just helping to support our other golfers in different ways and so being a being able to go out there and support the sports that you love and support other people to start engaging in those sports um it's very powerful it's you know it's also on a level of like kind of selfishness for those people like it feels really good you're gonna like really like uh the results of of doing that because you know I've just talked to volunteers that we work with and you know they really (laughs) they, they really love doing what they're doing and so I would encourage people to do that and then also If you are somebody with a disability and you want to start to become an adaptive athlete or to start to go out and try these things, uh, there's a lot of different ways to access that and to get involved. I would say, you know, first look for any kind of local rehab hospitals, because they're more than likely going to have, you know, rec therapy programs. I would also look at, you know, the individual sport that you're interested in and try to find, uh, you know, an organization or a nonprofit that's helping to support that uh, in your area. And then if you're looking to buy the pieces of equipment, there are uh, foundations that help to support that. There is things like um, the Challenged Athletes Foundations, which uh, provides a lot of support out there. And then depending what your specific disability is, or depending on the the area or the region you live in, there's other foundations and grants out there that are available too. So I would just go and uh, do your research. There's a lot out there for you to discover. And so, um, and a lot of people that wanna kind of help provide funding to help get those back out there. And then also going back out to something that we talked about before, Uh, As far as ways that people can kind of participate or donate and not not just your time, your money, but like for golf, all of our clubs, my almost my entire bag of clubs are all clubs that were uh, donated to Caroline Adaptive Golf that he kind of put all together and then provides back out to golfers. Because, again, it's, it's an expensive sport. And so for him to be able to like say, hey, you know, I know you're starting to get into it here's a set of clubs for you to start off with is a big deal and he wouldn't be able to do that if people weren't hey i got some clubs for you hey give me this you know here's that um so and then the same thing with the bikes too there is uh uh one of the guys that we work with through the up employment initiative he wanted to get out into riding and get back out into um biking so he started doing. Uh, went to the local um, rec therapy and they were doing uh, monthly rides and one of the volunteers who he was you know kind of riding with he had a piece of equipment he had a, a an accessible um, mount or um, like hand, there was a, a hand cycle i think it was a recumbent So a recumbent something you, you use with your legs but you know he one of his parents had been using it and they had passed away and he still had it and so he met this guy and was like, here, let me donate this bike to you. And so that was a big life changer for him. Now he you know, could go out there and, and ride and, and do that more often. So there's tons of ways for people to get involved and get engaged and donate and give back. And you're getting to play the sport that you love and be a part of that on a bigger level and introduce people who may not have been a part of it before uh, to it or help them get back to something that they love. So there's, there's so many benefits to it. And uh, yeah, we just encourage you to go out there and find it, do do some research. And if that's, if it's not there, then create it too. The team I ride with, the uh, the mountain bike team I ride with, is called Heather's Ride. So they're a nonprofit that um, gives bikes out for individuals to, with disabilities uh, to, in kind of public spaces so that like you know they have a bike for on the swamp rabbit trail there's a, a greenway uh down in uh somerville and goose creek that they provided uh bikes for there so like you know if you want to just try it out or you want to ride for you know the weekend you can do that but you know he always talks about you know i didn't know anything there was nothing like this out there but i love mountain biking i love cycling and i knew people with disabilities wanted to get into it and so i just created it and i started doing it myself And so he always talks about encouraging, it doesn't matter if it's sports or it's woodworking or whatever you're into, you know, find ways to help people with disabilities engage in that because it really helps, you know, up their quality of life.
0: Chris, this has been an incredible discussion. Thank you for your time today and for the work that you do in helping to make the outdoors more accessible and general life more accessible for the folks that you work with. Thanks so much.
1: Yeah. Thank you for bringing me on and allowing me to talk about this and and hopefully open up some people's eyes and, and get some people into some adaptive sports.
0: As I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, my interview with Chris Sparrow grew out of the 10 week inclusive community outdoor challenge. Interviewing Chris was how I personally completed my own week five challenge, and that challenge was to see the outdoors through someone else's eyes. If the outdoor challenge intrigues you, head on over to the inclusivecommunity.com and follow along, or better yet, join us and begin your own challenge. Be sure to share about your experiences. This has been the State of Inclusion Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, the best compliment for our work is your willingness to share the podcast or discuss these ideas with others. If you'd like to hear more about the practice of building an inclusive and equitable community, head over to theinclusivecommunity.com and sign up for our newsletter. Also feel free to leave us a review or reach out. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening and join us again next time.